It seems as if the, the Lord is in a perpetual match, a wrestling match in my mind at least, of a sort of tag team, except he's on a team by himself. Because each week, it seems, you know, the, it's the Herodians and the Pharisees, or this week it's the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and other times it's the Sadducees and the Herodians. And, you know, so there's always just these different groups that kind of keep coming after our blessed Lord. And so here, uh, the Sadducees, they, they've been silenced. So they tap out, uh, you know, tag their, tag their teammates, and the Pharisees hop in and continue to try to work on Jesus, trying to find some way to catch him, some way that he can, you know, finally get rid of him, to have him killed, right? And so they're continually looking, thirsting for this opportunity. And so they come to ask the all-important question, which commandment of the law is the greatest? It's an important question, and it was one that was hotly debated and, and regularly debated for the Jewish life and Jewish culture in the synagogues, right? In the, in the temple, we recognize that kind of the, the structure of, of the, the church, so to speak, in Israel was that the temple was the singular place of worship in Jerusalem. There was one temple that was the only spot where the lambs were offered and the various other offerings. So if you wanted to offer a sacrifice, you'd go to the temple. But not everybody can get to the temple every Sunday because that's a rather difficult trek. And so the synagogues were the places that were kind of scattered in little towns and villages all throughout Israel. And the synagogues were the places where the Word of God would be read, where a scroll would be opened, the Word of God would be read, and, you know, the, the local priest, the local high priest in whatever capacity would, would give a sermon or a reflection upon it and would, you know, kind of encourage the people in the faith. And so this is how their structure was. And so it was a common thing that in the synagogues all around Israel, they would discuss which of the, most, which of the commandments was most important because they had some 500-something of them, and that's a lot to keep track of, right? It's a lot to, to kind of be mindful of because many of them involved don't touch this, don't touch that, do this, don't do that, you know, wash your hands this way, wash your bowl this way, wash your bed this way, and all these kinds of kind of various ritual purity laws that were they're part of their daily life. And so, you know, it's kind of difficult to maintain all of those things. And so, you know, you fall short sometimes, as we all do. And so it's an important thing to say, well, if, if I struggle to do all of them, at least let me make sure that I get the one that's most important. Let me get that one right. Because then I can say, I, I at least got the most important one. And then the rest, eh, you know, kind of good days, bad days, Lord, right? And so they focus up on this question, which commandment is the most important? And our Lord summarizes it very clearly in words that are uh, essentially the, the Shema, the prayer of the people of God, and uh, a follow-up to it. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and elsewhere he adds your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is summed up in love. And this is why St. Augustine, a great doctor in the early church, would say, and he would encourage his people, love and then do what you will. In our world today, that would not go so well, right? Because love today very often has a, a, an idea of, of love in the sense of, of kind of warm fuzzies, or it's if I, if, I feel, if I feel this way or if I feel that way, it's sort of kind of very caught up in the, in the feelings of things. And so it's this fact that, that St. Augustine, when he says love and then do what you will, is acknowledging the fact that, that if we love well, in fact, if we love perfectly, we will not sin. You can do whatever you want, and it won't be sin, because your heart is properly ordered. Whatever we do, if we love the Lord first and foremost, and if we love others as ourselves in the proper manner, 
the Lord will keep us free from all sin because sin is essentially just an offense against love. And if we love, there's no offense against it. There's nothing that separates us from the love of God. There's nothing that separates us from one another. There's nothing that will be done that will be a a, a sin against, an offense against another person. This is why St. Augustine was able to say, love and then do what you will. But we all know that it's the latter part that's the the first part that's the more difficult, because to love as Christ loves us, to love perfectly, to love purely is, is a difficult thing. Because very often our own, our own kind of intentions get in the way of things. Whenever we do things for others, sometimes there's a, a, an ulterior motive that we're, it kind of serves us too. Or we do it out of charity, but no, we, we know that we can get, you know, if I know in high school and confirmation classes, you do charitable things, but you also get to mark off your hours for class, right? To make sure you fulfill the requirements for this, that, and the other thing. And so these ways where we can kind of not allow our love to be whole and entire for the good Lord. But we must strive for this. Love, again, in our world is too often taken as a feeling, but we know, in fact, that it is a decision. It is an act of the will. It is choosing to do something and actually proceeding with it. We all have times where we don't feel inclined to pray, but that doesn't mean that we do not pray. We all have times where we don't feel inclined to do tasks around the house, to cut the grass, to clean the house, to clean the kitchen, to take care of the kids, to go take care of the dog, to clean the litter box, all these things that one may not feel like doing, and yet we do them. In a similar manner with love, there are times where we may not feel loving towards another person. We may not feel loving towards a particular individual. We may actually have much anger within our heart, just on an emotional level, a visceral level. But it does not mean that we cannot show love. Love is, again, a choice of the will. It's choosing to do something, regardless of how we feel. And it's this is God's grace that allows us to do this. It's God's grace that allows us to do all of these things, to show love, whenever we don't necessarily feel it. And this is good. If there are times whenever we are just having a rough day, when things are not well, when all is chaos, when there's, you know, sadness or grief or any of these number of things that weigh upon us that can easily steal that that feeling of love and joy and excitement or whatever, whatever positive thing we might like to put upon it, there are times where these things are not present. And to rely upon the good Lord and to know that his grace is with us still to choose those actions, even when we don't feel it, is a blessing. And it's not determined based off of how we feel, but rather that we can choose these things, even when it is difficult for us, even when we're having a bad day. We can still choose love, and there is merit in it. But it's for us also to ensure that whenever we choose love, Whenever we make the decision to be able to lay down our life for the sake of someone else, whether in large manner or small, it's for us also not to hold back any love either. It's a temptation sometimes, I think, for us that that the more we know the law of God, the easier it is to find a way around it. I know this certainly was the case in the seminary, that anything they said, we'd 
you know, if you know canon law well enough, if you know your catechism well enough, if you know your scriptures well enough, there's always some way that you can find some kind of loophole that says, aha, but, you know, and then you can get your way, essentially, right? You can find your way through things and not have to be bound by it. This is the same thing that can happen with charity. Charity can happen in such a manner that, that we do the actions that are themselves loving, but we can do them in a manner that's not necessarily loving. You know, if we, we can roll down the window and, you know, just enough to pop our hands out the window and give somebody asking for money a couple of bucks and, you know, kind of roll it up, not make eye contact, give them a couple of bucks and move on with our day. Was it an act of charity? Yes. Was it very charitable? Not really. Because one did not, you know, acknowledge the personhood of the other. One, you know, may not, uh, you know, may not, you know, have to strike up a great conversation at a red light. But, but we can at least extend kindness, extend gentleness, to show mercy, right? In a similar manner, if, we, if you don't like the the uh, giving giving money to folks at the side of the street option, I think most of us go to the grocery store at least. And we've all encountered people at the grocery store who are saying the right thing, but not necessarily in a way that makes you feel like they care about it at all. How you doing? Good. Anything else? $10. Good. Have a good day. Not very edifying, huh? It's a very different thing for someone to, 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 to look at you and go, hey, how are you today? Doing great, you know, whatever, whatever happened. And to be able to, to show pleasantness, affability, likability, right? These are different things. And sometimes a, a temptation is for us, you know, we can, we can kind of let ourselves off the hook by saying, I did the thing, right? I can, I can check the box at the minimal level, the, the, the low level of, of I at least did the action, right? And if it's a hard day where we're really struggling and that's the best we can muster, God be praised that we did. But if it's a day wherein we can give more, where we can put a smile on our face, where we can strive more to be able to show not just simply charity in, in, in the mere foundational action, but to show charity in ourselves, to show charity in our, in our posture, in our face, in our voice, to be able to, to look upon the other and allow them to see and to experience the love of God through us. This is a tremendous grace. And the Lord can convict and convert many hearts, or at least enliven them for a bit, if we're willing and able to allow this to take place, to love and to mean it. I mentioned before in my sermon, one of my sermons on, on going to confession, I was talking about the act of contrition and how sometimes the act of contrition is, is something that's memorized. And I, I sometimes wonder if people feel like they, they have to get it out as quickly as possible so they don't forget it, right? As I'll say, you know, make an act of contrition. What's an act of contrition, right? An act of contrition is an action. It's an interior thing, a movement of the heart that says, Lord, I'm contrite. I repent of my sins. But very often it's reduced to, my oh God, I'm sorry for my sins. All oh, my heart choose to roll for good. I have sinned against you. Love, firm and resolve. They have a grace. Uh, sin no more. Amen. And I reflected about how, as a child, and my parents would sometimes, you know, have to correct me. They'd say, say, you're sorry. I'm sorry. Say it like you mean it. I'm sorry, right? You have to look at the person, acknowledge something, right? So say it like we mean it, and the same thing with our love, with our charity towards others, to show it like we mean it. 
not allow it to, to simply lie at a foundational level of loving, loving God and loving others and kind of merely fulfilling our minimal requirement, but striving for more, to be able to do this with others, but most especially to do this with our Lord. Our Lord rejoices at every, every minute of time that we give to Him. He rejoices at every time where we take for silence and prayer, for fleeting, reading the, the sacred scriptures, or praying with our family, or coming to Holy Mass, or being in His presence in the chapel. He takes and rejoices in every last one of them. But it's also for us to give all of ourselves that we can at Holy Mass, in our private prayer, our communal prayer, in whatever setting, to pray as if we mean it, to literally give our whole hearts to our blessed Lord and allow Him to reign gloriously and triumphant in them. And so as we offer this Holy Mass today, it's a grace to come and to be in the presence once more of the Lord God who is love itself, and to allow His love to be poured into our hearts by this Eucharist. And we pray that that pouring forth into us might shine forth radiant upon us as we go forth from this holy house to be able to share the goodness of God with others in our actions and our deeds, that indeed they might encounter love himself through us to the glory of God.